When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thinking Basketball Podcast. My name is Ben. Welcome back. It's an NBA Finals edition. And back, you were just here back in May, but it was, I mean, you're so fun to talk to. I had to bring you back. Um, By request, the people of the world made this episode happen. They said, you have to rope in Seth and get him back to discuss the crazy randomness of basketball, the craziness of these playoffs, what to make of all of them. From The Athletic, future best-selling author, Seth Bartnow. Uh, we hope. Yes, thank you. Let's 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 incept that into being. Uh, no, the, the athletic part is true. The future best-selling author part is, yes. Uh, how, how are you, Ben? I am doing okay. Um, I am ready for the, for, the, for the basketball break. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> I, can't, I can't tell if this is just people in the industry who feel this way or if fans also feel this way. But I do know sort of the common overlap is that we're now in the summer. And people are saying it's kind of weird to have the kids out of school and to be doing summery kind of things. And it's July and there's the NBA finals are on on Thursday night. Yeah, no, um, there's been a note like this season. The main reason I think this season feels so long is we know the rhythm and the rhythm is, OK, basketball, 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 all star break, trade deadline. Well, trade now, trade deadline, all star break, March Madness, a week playoffs. And this year, because of everything, is March Madness, and then like, oh, this is the crap part of the season that we usually just don't pay attention to because we're watching, you know, Northwestern State make a run to the Sweet 16, uh, and then we can kind of we can sort of check in on the NBA and then come back. So it just that's that sort of added, like not not just an extra sort of month of the season, but like the worst month of the season where the only things that can happen are bad. You know, every every you know what everyone is going to be basically, and you're basically let's just not have injuries, and then Jamal Murray gets hurt. There was so, there was more grind that like yeah the the dog days of January went on for a very long time. Yeah, was wait was the All Star game after March? I can't even figure out what happened when. Did March Madness was at like the normal time, right? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yes. moving on. Um, you have any thoughts? I don't know where to begin today because we have a lot to. I, I think we can go forever on sort of the the larger meta topic. As of recording this, it's two games into the NBA Finals. The Suns are up two nothing on your Bucks. My Bucks. Your Bucks. They're your team. You're responsible for all of them. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I guess. How, how are you? Do you have any thoughts on this? Have you expired all of your thoughts on other podcasts already this week? What What are you? How are you feeling? Um. I mean, I don't know. I I, I feel empty. No, uh, <laughs> no. This has been. I mean, it's been two pretty enjoyable games of the finals. Um, through two games, I mean, you know, you could you can dig into everything and you know criticize this decision or wonder if that or he could have done this. But it's like the Suns are just better. 
Like the Suns are really good, and and really good is especially with you know uh, Giannis at whatever percentage you want to throw on him. It's less than a hundred. Um, they're just better, and and then they're better enough that they are. You know, for all the talk about this and that about this playoffs, the Suns are are presume presuming they close this out. The Suns are a worthy champion. They're not you know this the worst champion since blah blah blah. No, the Suns are this is a really good team, and the only reason that we haven't really um, associated them as such is that they basically came from nowhere because we're so used to the progression, and the Suns haven't done that. You know, they've kind of just just sprung from basically from the bubble essentially uh and are now in in, in the finals and in the driver's seat to win the title um and we're just so used to the the stepladder of getting to the finals with you know the, the the exceptions are so obvious like you know the 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 kg celtics right it's like okay that team hadn't done the ladder but those players had and and so that's why we're i think struggling to except what's right in front of us. The Phoenix Suns are really damn good. If I asked you who they were the worst champions since, assuming they were to go on and win, where would your mind go? I'm, I'm trying to gauge sort of how you see them as a, as a team quality-wise. Uh, I mean, are, are they better or worse than the, the, the 2011 Mavericks? That, that's, that was my first stop, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. It's, it, I mean, it's, it's a different team than... than that i mean that was like that was like the vets finally coming through and this is like the other end and um maybe maybe we'll, this is this will get to a topic that we we plan on talking about later um i wonder if presu- again presuming they win this year i wonder how it will age um like that mavericks team looks the way it looks in history because they broke up right afterwards and that's true it, and and the you know, if this is a, you know, the, aside from Chris Paul, this is a pretty young team. And aside from Chris Paul's a pretty big aside, but this is a pretty young team. And if they're like, you know, conference finals or finals thereabouts for the next four years, will just necessarily feel different about what they did this year. Yeah. Um, and that's, and that, you know, you had asked me earlier, and we've been talking about this, like, oh, the collective talent in the conference finals was blah, blah, blah. Uh, if the Hawks keep progressing and they become, you know, that team that's, that's, you know, conference finals every year in the East, we're going to look back and say, man, those 2021 conference finals, those, like, that was, no, that was the first year of the Hawks. So I think it's a little, you know, much like a draft pick. It's almost because specifically those two teams are so early in their cycles, it's almost too early to place them. Yeah, I mean, that that's one perspective. I think based on that, we could probably go back in time and find other early-ish teams that, um, in retrospect, maybe we overrate to a certain degree. Because, I mean, I don't know if you agree with this. There, I, I do tend to see a kind of growth curve, both in players and teams, in a lot of cases. Um, you know, you mentioned, the, you mentioned the KG Celtics back in 2008 as an exception to the rule. But looking deeper at teams over the years, that first run can often be not as effective as what happens, you know, teams kind of, if you think about a team peaking, it's usually not the first season, even the KG Celtics. I've said this like a broken record. uh, They came out and almost won their first I think their first 31 or 32 games in a row in 2009, they were like 29 and 
three off the top of my head to start that season. One of those losses was this bonkers Toronto Raptors three-point shooting game. Uh, and I think another one or two, maybe both, were really close at the end. So even that team looked sort of more cohesive with a second season with Rondo starting to come into his own, stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, I think where we're aligned is the desire to take something away from Phoenix feels uh, unwarranted and completely unfair versus, or going back to your comment about Atlanta, versus, hey, it's atypical in the last decade and maybe the last 25 years, 30 years, whatever. It's atypical not to have a bunch of top 10 players in the final four. And we might have this year like a bunch of top 20 players in the final four versus top 10, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're, we're part of that is we are sort of in a transitional period into who the the best players are. Um, you know, LeBron, Steph, KD are, I don't like none of them have aged out yet, but it's coming. And, you know, the next wave isn't quite there. Like, I mean, I get Luke is a top 10 player, but you know, well, that, that, sorry. No, no, I was going to say Jokic, Luca, yeah. I think guys like that are Embiid. Yeah. Assuming health, they're kind of already, yeah. already in that conversation. But they're, they're sort of, they're, they're kind of the back half of the top 10 though. Like, again, the, if you want to do the top, like, you know, again, since the, the tiers are, uh, are front of mind, you know, since that, that's sort of my, my big project as soon as the season ends, um, like who is one a, and it's just like, well, it's, you know, it's LeBron, Kawhi, KD, Harden, Steph, give or take. Right. And that's not a, that's not a young group of players. I mean, I I can't comment because it's possible that I may rank the top 10 players at the end of the, of the season per tradition. Um, but even even just going back to the idea of the teams, I think that's the one that's more front of mind for me. Where I've said this, I've said this to many friends casually, um, and I have to be careful how I say it again because it's meant more as a compliment to the Jazz than a, a takeaway from the Suns. But people say like, "Well, the Suns are not as good as other teams we typically see here, or they wouldn't be the best. They would be the worst championship since X." And to that, I say like. Yeah, sometimes like Darren Williams Utah Jazz were good for a while. But when you're in when you're in a conference where you have other juggernauts, you just never think about those teams anymore. And this is the season where it's kind of like the opposite where with all of the injury craziness that's happening, now one of those teams gets to win. And it's not that there's something inherently, you know, really weak about one of those teams. It's just when you slide down half a level or a tier among the NBA juggernauts that we're used to seeing, those teams just rarely win. Again, I think that's probably selling Phoenix a little bit short. So I you... think that they, they, I mean, the, the, I, I asked for the first time, I think it was like with about two weeks left in the season. Like I, I, I pretty sure it was on Nerder, though. It may have been when we were just like warming up where it's like, Hey guys, are the Suns winning the title this year? And it's just like the, again, the only reason that we were not really considering it is because it's uh, how, like the the only recent edition of a team that in their first go around like won the title was the Warriors. And that wasn't even really their first go around, but in, in that sort of form it was. Um and I, I like I, this you know, I think the Suns team is pretty good. I don't think that they're the, you know, late years Warriors. Um even before the like the 
the acquisition of Katie. I don't think that they were like the original death lineup warriors. Um, but that's not the bar we're talking about for a worthy champion, is it? Um, you know, the team that, that, that won a title and won 73 games the next year is not not the standard we want to hold someone to to be a worthy champion. Um, so, but you look, I mean, they had the second best record in the league and they played really well against the other good teams and they have the kind of players and skill set overlaps and versatility uh, that typically leads to playoff success. So, um, and they've done, they, they've, they've uh, you know, overcome with reasonable aplomb every challenge that's been put in, fo- in front of them, like, what more do we want to say that this is a worthy team? You know, yeah. I mean, they're definitely worthy. I think what throws people, and maybe to a certain degree, throws me because of the the other end of the narrative machine, is they drew the Lakers in the first round, which of course is weird. That's atypical. And that series is very different when the Lakers have all their able bodies and when they don't. And so that kind of messes with your brain because if... Well, hold on. Chris Paul was Chris like Chris Paul played a quarter and a half with an, with a functioning right arm in sure, that series. Sure, sure. Uh, I also think that's historically the norm for Chris Paul in the postseason. <laughs> um, you know, that's D- Dave Duvor, your your nerder host, um, and I. Anthony Davis gets hurt too, so like you, again, you it's like there there's this is true. that series. There's like the picking and choosing of the luck that counts. Like oh, they were so lucky the Lakers got hurt. Yeah, but they're playing LeBron and Anthony Davis in the first round, having just had the second best record in the league. So who's unlucky now? Yeah, exactly. Like they, en- they ended up playing a team that was about as good as the seventh seed. So is that is that you know they they earned that? So well, well, well so that's what I was going to say, and it goes back to yeah. my comment about the the Darren Williams Jazz. There are so many teams in league history that get an imbalanced draw. Um, I'm running a series right now for Patreon subscribers. The first part is free for everyone in the public on backpicks. And it's about playoff plus plus minus and using playoff plus minus to look at playoff performance. And one of the things that jumps out that I want to say is in part four coming up. I can't remember what which part is in uh, is it, it is in, but... Essentially, the conference imbalance means that when you look at teams that made the NBA Finals, you're, you're smiling, so I assume you've seen this. The data looks really weird sometimes. You're like, why are teams that made the conference finals better than teams that lost in the NBA Finals? And the answer is two words. It's the Eastern Conference. Right. Um, and so, Some pretty mediocre LeBron teams have been in the finals. Exactly, exactly. And so if you kind of, for me, of course, I, I never think about these things as first round, you know, rings, uh, you know, this kind of determines goodness. This means you failed. It's more like looking at the, trying to figure out the quality, the overall quality of the teams. And I think if Phoenix were in a different situation where they had played Memphis as a seven in the first round, gone through them like a knife through butter, played a team like, I mean, I don't know, a typical second round opponent um, is not going to have the usual, uh, would you, you know, what if Jamal Murray was here? What if the what if the Nuggets had a backcourt that you know didn't come yeah, right. from street clothes? Things like that. I think if they went through that and you view them as more of a typical Final Four team, then to your point, uh, it kind of it kind of demystifies the entire well, the, the Phoenix shouldn't be here thing, it, right? But they didn't they didn't eek by Denver. They smashed them, and that's, they did. I, I think that has to you know. You know, there, there's a difference between oh wow, they they just really skin of their teeth, really eat by. Like, 
you know, you to look to get back to the finals, like, you know, we may think about this differently in a couple of years, depending on how the Hawks progress. But like the Bucks making heavy, heavy work of the Hawks kind of made you think less of them. Right. I have felt consistently the same about the the Bucks since about Good. the the third quarter of Game Three against Brooklyn. Um, that's when I I think I fully recalibrated because I feel like I'm going a step farther. I I think I think it feels like a grind for Milwaukee going back to Game Three of that series. Uh, I guess Kyrie was still in the lineup in Game Three, but you know, right, at, kind of from that point forward. Milwaukee, and as an aside, the the data that I'm playing with in that series, the one number metric, looking at playoff performance, if you were to look at, if you take the aggregate of that, and you kind of looked at each team and you viewed it as team talent, it's it's a decent proxy, by the way, for team net rating and adjusted team performance in the playoffs, but it's a different thing. Like, for instance, the 2014 Spurs grade out fairly low. I think they're the weakest performing championship team using that metric from what I was looking up last night. Uh, but of course, they had incredible synergy and things that stats can't necessarily capture. Uh, if you look at that, both the Bucks and the Suns are very similar, low-end kind of championship window teams, um, and less about Phoenix here and more about Milwaukee. To me, when I looked at that, it's like, yeah, the, obviously you're a better regular season team than you are a playoff team. And I think that's been consistent for a couple rounds now. Rounds? Years? <laughs> years for other people i liked i like to continue to wait i felt the bubble the bubble doesn't have an asterisk to me it has a question mark right right and so Giannis getting injured you would remember better than me was it the game two that he hurt his ankle last year it was game four they were down three three nothing and he hurt his ankle in game four and then then middleton went crazy and forced overtime and then they forced it to game five no really or maybe it was game three. It was, it was it definitely was, it was earlier in the series. I think it was the start of it may have been the start of game three, but it was two or three. They only played kind of like one or two full strength games with him. Um, either way, I think even going back to 2019, see, Milwaukee's weird to me. And maybe you're the perfect person to talk to about this. I kind of feel like the Bucks peaked in 2019 like that. That was the window to me. That was both Giannis as a player and their style. Uh, and the fact that Golden State lost KD in the West, like that was the moment and not getting over the hump with Toronto, the, 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 whether it's Fred Van Fleet or the ball bouncing the wrong way or game three in overtime, whatever it is. Like if I look at their full three-year stretch outside of the craziness of injuries in 2021, that was the best team to me. That was the opportunity. No, I'm right. He hurt himself in, in game four. Uh, why why would I question you? Yeah. Um, cause I actually remember where I was when that happened. It was, uh, the first time we had gone and visited with people since the pandemic started. Cause they had just all gotten tested cause they had a baby. Um, so <laughs> we were at a friend's house and, and when, and I was kind of sneaking views of that game, but that's not a hero there. Uh, shout out to Alex Wenland. Um, <laughs> hello, Alex. Yeah. Hell yeah. Um, <laughs> I always so, wonder about the shout out if the person's not listening, what does that mean? Anyway, yeah, it's an um, existential question. Yeah. So, I mean, again, um, there's also part of I think that you're being a little bit backwards looking in that um, there is a, a window going forward in that like a, all of the extra sort of team building accoutrement that they, they couldn't do this year because of the holiday trade 
become available to them again next year. And so I think a lot, a lot of the sort of the heaviness, the grind of this has been the fact that like, you know, they're running out of playoff quality players and yes, that was always yes. going to be the case. I mean, you wasn't, it was always likely to be the case. Like, you know, it, it's not like you can always conjure up, you know, the Terrence Manns of the world. Right. But is, but you know, they didn't manage to do that. And, but they have a, a few more, you know, few more avenues to go through to, you know, if they had, I, I can't even think of the player. Like, if they had a Royce O'Neal or, you know, that level of, you know, Jay Crowder. Um, Jay, I mean, the, <laughs> yeah, but but that like that's even that's a little bit too high. If they had like the slightly better Bryn Forbes, they had the slightly better Pat Connaughton. If they had, you know, a backup point. Patty guard, Mills. If had, yeah, if they had. Ish Smith instead of Jeff Teague as a backup point guard, you know, those kind of things. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's I, I want to come back to Terrence Mann because I think that plugs perfectly into the idea of like randomness and how shaky and unstable the tournament becomes when teams are more closely packed together. When you achieve when you achieve that like NFL dream of parody, whether the NFL actually likes that or not is a outside of the purview of this podcast but when you get teams packed together i feel like you're back in the 1970s where it's like oh oh yeah the oh the bullets could win the title well i guess the sonics could win the title also don't forget portland could win the title and oh well golden state won the title rick barry and his and his band of merry men won the (laughs) title. it's like that was every year in the 70s once the kind of um early super teams of the of the 70s um the lakers and the and the bucks and whatnot and celtics and knicks kind of faded away i i sort of feel like we're maybe this is even just like a one-year transition because of of you know the the bucks weren't the only team that kind of were 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 i don't want to say capped out but were top heavy like you know brooklyn was always going to be that way this year too and just you know some degree the lakers because of the way they chose to respond to the the you know they 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 chose regular season innings eaters as sort of their their additions last summer now that's an interesting point and and i also i'm not a cap guy but it has me thinking of are, are you are you kind of suggesting that once the katie warriors thing is over Maybe possibly Brooklyn aside that the the economics of the league are actually going to dictate we move into a period where we have kind of more competitive. I I think it's I think it's just just it, it is a I think it's more kind of a one year where like the the conglomerations of talents just happen to be not you know in in their you know their first season of the Heat kind of situation where they didn't really they didn't become the death star until the set like they made the final sure but they weren't they were they were kind of a brute force approach that first year when they lost to dallas whereas you know up until the spurs series in 2014 like they were you know a, a flying death machine um and and because they could they kind of were able to mix and match the pieces around their top players that really you know allowed those other players to be effective and also enhance the effectiveness of their top guys. And that's, that's not something you can necessarily, okay. For step one is we get, we get these, these, these main ingredients together and then, you know, okay, you've used kind of your, your tools for a year to do that. 
then the next year you get those tools back and you can really start to, to tinker away around the edges and make sure everything fits together in, in sort of a synergistic way. And I think that just because, again, like you talk about a lot of the top players this year, you know, the okay, the Warriors were kind of disqualified because of, of the, the, the clay injury. Uh, the Brooklyn guys were kind of in that in that situation, uh, Giannis, because of how much they had to give up, not just from an asset standpoint, but from a roster flexibility standpoint to get Holiday. And then the Lakers kind of taking, um, you know, taking the approach they took is almost like a like a like a a gap regular season year, and then like shockingly, like Montrezl Harrell wasn't useful in the playoffs. Who knew? Um, <laughs> so I think that um, many many people knew. Um, so I think that that's just, it's just sort of a confluence of that's like, you know, that's, that's between those three teams, that's four of the top six or seven players in the league right there that have, that have just by one year kind of blip don't have the, the ability to add the fixings around them. So I think that next year's probably going to look a little more like we're used to, where it's like, okay, these are the four or five teams who are really in it kind of thing. And that's and I think that was true even like before the injuries, to be to be frank. Do you count the Bucks as one of the teams kind of in this pool of injuries or or are they not in that group for you because uh, DiVincenzo is not a star or a superstar? But I ask this because it's rarely brought up from what I can tell. And we don't have to spend too much time on the finals per se specifically, but you mentioned it. They they are they are running out of able bodies to play in this series. Uh, if you go on Twitter, you see, just like you do every series, uh, sideline coaches saying they should just play Giannis at five all the time. And it hasn't been good. Yeah, so the strategic, <laughs> the, the strategic component of that aside, the thing that just jumps out to me in this series is when you play Giannis at the five, you take one of your only good players left and you put him on the bench. So who else right. are you? Fill That's where the Jay Crowders of the world come right. in. Like you don't have anybody that you can run more small lineups with. Yeah. No, I think like, yes, the, that the, the DiVincenzo injury is, is obviously huge for them. At the same time, if it's if an injury to your fifth best starter, is that debilitating? Yeah. You know, like we, the, the the topic we wanted the thing we want to talk about is like margin for error right is is randomness and that in some ways means margin for error if that you know that's that is bad luck but it's not like there's teams that have had worse much worse if your fifth best starter getting injured is this debilitating then you didn't really you didn't have a lot of resilience and so that's and they so that that Yes, it, it, it plays a part, but I don't think it should be like it crushed them because if that crushes you, where were you to start with? Yeah, and I don't I, – I, at least personally, I don't think it's crushed them. Um, I just think if you if you think about your ex-best player, um, your first best player obviously is incredibly important. Your second and third best player are very important. Your fourth and your fifth best player are significantly less important, but they matter – you know, they, they help with your sort of overall makeup and things like resiliency when you get late in the playoffs. But, you know, with Milwaukee, their fifth best player shaving a little bit off the top for them. I, I mean, I still, it just, to, just as a crude thought experiment, Giannis is a superstar, Middleton's an all-star. Uh, I've always been lower on Drew Holiday than I think most people in, most people on NBA Twitter. But if you called him a borderline all-star, I think... 
I don't get too much argument. Um, that kind of trio, you could put Brooke Lopez somewhere in there as like a sub all starry, you know, high quality kind of starter player. Um, that is a quartet that I think you you've gotten what you're getting out of that. Typically, that is a quality team. That is a competitive team. That is not necessarily a juggernaut or dominant title team. You're you're muted. Excuse me. You are unmuted. Um, yes. No. So one one of the things that you know we relearn every year is that the importance of sort of uh, a malleability in the playoffs. And whether that's having a number of different guys who you can go to different looks with or having guys that can do a number of different looks. Like, DiVincenzo is important to the Bucks in that he is sort of malleable in that way, in that he can fill a lot of different sort of aspects. Like, you know, he he's, he's not the world's best ball handler, but he's a good ball handler. He's not the best shooter, but he's a capable shooter. He's, you know, he can he can do enough of enough different things that he can be the fifth guy in a lot of different lineups. And so in that respect, he does sort of maybe doesn't take something off the top as much off the top for Milwaukee, but almost takes stuff off the sides. If that makes sense in terms of their ability to kind of go into different lanes. Is that a, am I, am I butchering some sort of geometry metaphor here? No, I think you've added it. I was, I was being one dimensional. I just meant it makes him not quite as good, but I think you're probably describing where he helps them be a little bit better, uh, which is essentially kind of giving them a little bit more sturdiness on the edge of the structure because of his, because of his kind of, he's, you know, I don't think we'd say he's a brown belt at a ton of stuff, but he's a blue belt in a number of key areas for, for a guard in today's league. Yeah. And the player, a slightly different player, but a guy who I'm, I'm, who strikes me a lot as a guy who is actually, while not necessarily being a huge numbers guy or whatever guy who seems like he's incredibly useful in that regard is Marcus Morris. Mm, Yeah. Be just because of, well, no, he can play in that lineup. He can play in that lineup. he He can play in that lineup too. And just having, you know, he's not a star, but just having a guy, he's like, yeah, he's 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 pretty good, and he can do, he he can function in any one of those kind of kind of constructs. Like those guys become very useful playoff players. I, and keep going. So go ahead. Oh, no, I, was, I, I, I think what you're hitting on is, um, and we just should probably have a fancy name or something like the Harrison Barnes theory or something like that. But I think you're hitting on the the value and impact of wings in the modern league in in the in the league the way it's constructed now because you get a some ball handling can be a factor versatile defense is a factor uh, and then almost regardless of what their skill set is the lineup construction versatility you know you're talking about guys that you can play as a quote-unquote three but also play in small ball sometimes as a five and oh by the way Look at someone like Giannis or Anthony Davis or Draymond Green or, you know, on and on and on and on, kind of, quote unquote, unlocking certain lineups where you put a particular player at the five requires these wings on the court to supplant that anyway. Yeah. And and I think that the lack of that player is really something that 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 Milwaukee has felt basically since the Brooklyn series. Now. 
PJ Tucker was very useful in that series for one specific reason. Yep, yep. But that's a pretty good reason. It's but since then he's kind of been a fish out of water. Like there's yeah. no one really for him to guard. Like there's been some disagreement that he's bothered Devin Booker, and I don't really think so. I think I think I think that's the like the the like he was it was a a gamble that didn't pay off if I'm being if I'm gonna be uh generous about it in putting him on Chris Paul to start game one. Game two he guarded Devin Booker about half the time. He worked really hard, was really active, and but he didn't really like did he bother Devin Booker really? I, I agree I agree with you. I think and like and, and you know the Suns the Suns took what, eighteen corner threes and those things just happen. Like that's that's your defense has been in rotation a lot if you give up eighteen corner three attempts. And you know, that sort of matchup is a big part of why. Um, but the the point being, like he like he doesn't really. There's no like him guard him. That is a really good match for his sort of physical talents. And then on offense, he is basically a zero. Like you know, he grabs a couple offensive rebounds, but he he fails the Andre Robertson test. Like he could you know he at the volume he shoots corner threes, he could make every single one he took, and the Suns would still be would still be better off having his man standing right under the rim all the time and they've kind of almost done that from the yeah. film that i've rewatched in closer detail so far in this series they are helping way off the corner on him um i i'm in complete agreement with everything you just said and i would add that in this particular matchup one of the things that's matchup specific about this series that jumps off to off the screen to me is speed and tucker lacks that right so you say, okay, we're going to put Tucker on Chris Paul to start game one. That didn't work. I thought he struggled with that, frankly. I thought it was a big problem for them defensively, both on the ball and, and with switching, because they would switch him onto eight, and he's 6'5", and eight knows how to mm -hmm. abuse you. Um, I thought it was, I mean, the, the bigger problem, I thought, was it also because, you know, he, he obviously can't provide any, like, all pressure on Chris Paul. So they're in their offense at 21 on the shot clock. They're getting a switch of Brooke Lopez or Bobby Portis onto Paul or Booker at 18 on the shot clock. And you can, okay, Brooke especially, okay, you, you give him five seconds to kind of make a guy's life hard. He can do that really well. You make him dance for 15 seconds and he's going to look bad. Like any big is going to look bad if you just, yeah. you know, you. That, that, that's why like – when you when you play like you know one on one, you put like a three dribble max, right? Because if you if you give me if you give me seventeen dribbles, I'm gonna I can probably get to a good spot on the floor. But if I have to do it in five seconds, shots are gonna be tougher. Yeah, yeah. So then you look at the wings that are out there. You've got Bridges and and Crowder. Um, you know Crowder less so. So I guess maybe that's the place. But it's the same problem. But he's the four. And right. he's 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 a, he's a slow three and a fast four. Right. So you're this is where you start to kind of run out of options with this style. And I think it I think it pops on both ends for me because we've been talking about defense. But on offense, one of the differences between Tucker and someone like Bridges and many other players around the league now, frankly, is Tucker stands in the corner, but he doesn't really want to leave the corner that much. He's not going to hard cut ghost cut. Um, he's crashed the glass a couple times and snuck in and got a rebound. The the follow ups are always an adventure. I do I do enjoy myself a a PJ Tucker rim attempt, um, but 
that that is value that is essentially coming off the board on both ends because of speed and you mentioned i started us with speed you mentioned getting into stuff 21 on the shot clock 19 on the shot clock phoenix on misses and makes gets right into it one of the things i've been really impressed with uh, about devin booker ironically because it was the thing i was concerned about years ago when i did a scouting video on him he can do stuff really quickly like he gets into stuff really quickly so whether that's a half court set and he touches it and the second he touches it, he's going. So if you're a step behind when you start, uh, I think it was holiday. It, what, Tucker wasn't on him on this play. I was watching uh, some film right before we started recording. Booker's down in the corner. You know, Phoenix loves to bring him up from the baseline and curl and catch. And holiday lost, you know, he lost connection with him before he started his cut now you're five feet behind the whole play after that seth was a mess i think it was a dunk at the rim um for ayton ultimately but it all started with holiday losing connectedness well if pj tucker's chasing those guys twitter blame brooke lopez didn't they uh twitter would probably blame the big (laughs) for every play I i saw a great tweet the other day that someone said um this is how twitter talks about nba defense look at how bad this big is Watch after the guard blows by his man. Lopez doesn't. <laughs> and it's like, wait, wait, yeah. wait a second. Back up. Is, is this gonna? Is this gonna turn into? Uh, it, 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 it's, it's too bad that uh, that uh, Rudy Gobert couldn't stay in front of Reddy Jackson. Is that what this conversation is gonna turn into? It like could. how? You know. Um, anyway, we've ne- we haven't actually talked about what we thought we were gonna talk about. Well, that happens sometimes with us. Um, Yeah, it really does. All right, let me ask you this perspective. If we re-ran the playoffs 10 times, how many different Mm -hmm. teams win? Seven? Yeah, that's what I think. Like, would it... I mean... Well, probably. I mean, if we ran it ten times, we'd pr- probably not. But if we if we if we re-ran it a hundred times, how many teams would win five times or more? Yeah. But that's like, um, you know, like, do I like Brooklyn, Milwaukee, Phoenix, Utah, L.A., Philly sneaks in there a time or two? The Clippers, like that, like I think oh, I, that, when you said I think, L.A., I thought you meant the Clippers. No, I, I mean both L.A. teams. Yeah, like, I. Yeah. I've... <sighs> I mean, again, a conversation that's outside the scope of what we're talking about. I don't think I would put Philly in there. Um, they could get a couple. If we did it a hundred times, are they going to win five percent of the titles? It feels yeah, feels tough for them. I mean, yeah. I mean, I guess I if if these are all independent random events and they're and they're not they're not learning. Like, hey, Dwight Howard, don't play him. Uh, after the first twenty, then <laughs> yeah, you then can't you're right. you can't yeah, retool yeah. your roster every time. Yeah, we no, reset. Not, not even retool your roster. Just like there, there's no there's no learning that no, he still is going to get like like his minutes are going to get your teeth kicked in every time. Yeah, and so it becomes Groundhog Day. We're, and, you know, it's Edge of Tomorrow rules. We're resetting the yeah. playoffs with Edge of Tomorrow rules. Yeah. Um, I mean the Clippers, the Cl- I I don't know how long it's going to take me to get over that Terrence Mann game because. On one hand, I really feel like the Jazz, like the Jazz Suns would have been, I, I was so fascinated to see that series. So you know what that game was? That game was in game seven of the first round last year if Lou Dort had gone like 12 of 18 from three. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, you know, credit to both Dort and Mann for like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm shooting. I'm, I haven't always been the greatest shooter, but I'm, I'm, I'm shooting this shit. And, you know, it, it worked. It, it obviously like it worked better for man. I mean, it you know obviously the Thunder 
were, despite being sort of undermanned, were right there in that game seven. So, but yeah, um, it's that that was one of the that was one of the weirder kind of explosive games of all time. But Terrence Mann is good. Like Terrence Mann he's is fun, good. And yeah. And he and he's good in a way that like is predictably playoff useful. I mean, how how I'm still stuck on Terrence Mann and all those points, but just like but take the no, but take the points aside. Like he, like he is exactly the pro. Like the, yes. the guys we're talking about, this team needs yep. like like a athletic six five guy who can shoot it a little, put it on the floor a little, pass, defend multiple positions. Like that's what we're talking about. Yep. We have been talking about that more than randomness. That's true. Um, <laughs> the the thing that got me thinking, the Terrence, Terrence Mann game got me thinking about is how, how a single game throws our perception of a series off so much. Where if it swung... Oh, I thought you were going somewhere else with this. Where do you I think I was going? Were, it's probably more exciting. I, I, no, I thought, I thought you, how it throws our perception of a single player and, and how overrated Cam Reddish is going to be going into next year. But that's neither here nor there. Well, but that's true. But I, you know, out of all the kind of phenomena <laughs> like that that I get into and have written about over the years, that one sticks less to me because it it's not sticky. It's such a temporary kind of thing. Like... We now get that on a nightly basis, right? And we're getting it on a nightly every every series in this playoffs. The the Clippers fall down two nothing, and then we can write their obituary and all of the fatal flaws that the teams have. And then when they come back and win, it's all of the fatal flaws that their opponents had. Well, I said like this is how I described it at the start of this year's playoffs. Is the thing it reminded me of was the Battle of Wits from Princess Bride, <laughs> except that there were there were nine cups on the table. And Vassini is going through talking about uh, not only can he not choose the cup in front of me or the cup in front of you, but the, each of the other cups also why he can't choose those. And that's like that was what going into the playoffs this year kind of felt like is it was easy to say, no, they're not going to because and, you know, someone's going to end up with it. But uh, but there was partially because there are so many teams that had chances um, that it, it felt like every team was flawed. And and yeah, that might be so. That might be so more so than usual. Never get into a land war in Asia. That's yeah. And never get into a philosophical debate on thinking basketball. Is the <laughs> ne- never go into thinking basketball with a plan of what you're going to talk about. It doesn't work. No, I, I don't know if this it's is not with us. Playoff fatigue. Um, but no, I've 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 thought this way for years, and that game probably exemplifies it. But. The the there's the illusion of seven games, right? I wrote about this in Thinking Basketball. Like it's so powerful to people that they say things like, "My favorite is a close five game series, where to me it's very close, and you've got two home wins, a split at the other venue, and a home win, and all of the indicators suggest that it's close, and you watched it and it looked close, but then for the rest of time that series was a blowout to everyone. Right. It's right. like. Oh, or the flip side of that is like the uh, the, the was it the 2008 first round where Celtics Hawks. Really, Celtics <laughs> Hawks where the Celtics won by 40 every game in Boston and lost by two every game in Atlanta. And it's like that's not a close series. That was a very, very fortuitous to get to seven games right. in a series. They had no chance of winning. Yeah. Yeah. They had a they had a microscopic chance, depending on what happened with the air conditioning and wet floors and things like that in game seven. Um no, that that's exactly it. All right, where do we go now? I don't know what 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 this leads us with. 
The sun shooting 87% oh. from the free throw line? Does that count that's, as, I mean, as that's, randomness? No, that counts as just being good. It's, it's just crazy. No, they, I mean, they were great. Like, they, like this is, again, this is, this is a, you think about how their team fits together in a way that is designed to check playoff boxes. Oh, we're going to make every free throw down the stretch. Like, if games are close, we're, we're going to make more free throws than you. Okay, that that's probably, you know, not dropping the extra game because you missed five free throws in the fourth quarter. That that's the kind of thing that is pretty useful in a you know a short series setting. Um, so you know again it's it's all of these little things that like you know if you make these these well Yagato in the playoffs it's like oh the, no they have that like all of those Yagatos are you know very situational and they only you only got to if it actually matters and it only matters some of the time. The thing is the Suns like have we found a Yagato that the Suns don't have? They don't uh... have a backup center. Like, like that's like, that's the, you know, yeah, they're, they're, who knows what's going to happen with their, with their depth. Um, again, the sixth or seventh player, n- not super important. Uh, no, stru- they, uh, while we were recording, no structural damage for Tory Craig is the, the news that came out, that's which, nice. yeah, that looked ugly when it happened. Hey, to I be always concerned about those kinds of falls like, and like non-contacty kind of things well no because his 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 foot like got almost pinned under Giannis's yeah, foot and it yeah. was like but um yeah. I I have one I have yeah. one which is people talk about shooting luck a lot and they kind of I feel like they reduce that to three-point luck um interestingly enough I saw a shot quality model hard to have a great shot quality model you could write an entire book on trying to come up with really good meaningful shot quality model but the kind of or, or at least a chapter <laughs> the um the superficial ones had milwaukee uh from what i saw i saw one that had milwaukee at yeah. like 88 percent to win the game last night based on where the shots were taken um I, I only bring that up to say as part of this story of luck we're now seeing a league where people take a lot of threes and you know a, a, a 12 point lead in the old days is now a 21 point lead no lead is safe but when people think about shooting luck they often scan to the three-point totals in the box score and again i don't even think that does justice to kind of how how when things are really competitive and close and the margins are really small how a couple jumpers going in or out is the difference between oh we can yeah of course we comfortably won that game by seven we were better than them all of our adjustments were better than their adjustments yeah and we lost let's talk about our fatal flaws well, I mean, is it the Bucks shot poorly last night, right? That's that 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 is factual. Well, they're not a very good shooting team, right? They are, especially and in this again, especially as you get down to the guys you can play, they have one plus shooter, and he's on the ball a lot. So you end up these like these big shots. They end up they find Pat Connaughton, they find Drew Holiday, they find PJ Tucker, they find Brooke Lopez. Like these are. You know, it's like Tucker and, and Lopez are just OK enough and Holiday and Connaughton are fine. But like, you know, whereas the, these shots are finding for Phoenix, they're finding Cam Johnson and Mikhail Bridges and Jay Crowder in the corner. Like that's not a, that's that's not that. OK, there's there is some fortune, but the dice are loaded in your favor because of that. Like, yeah, it's a. There is there is there there is some there there's variance involved there, but again, margin of error. Phoenix's margin of error is just much higher because their expectation is higher. Sure, yeah. No, I I was trying to get us back to the more meta conversation. Yeah. 
Um, you've you've pulled us back into the. Into okay. The well, no, 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 no. That's okay. Um, I no, just but, meant, so I, uh, we can go that way too. I I, 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 I just meant I more in, on that. Right. I just, <laughs> <laughs> I just meant more in general. Right. Yeah. Like like shooting luck is a thing. Yeah. And I'm glad you made that last point though, because one of the problems I always have with the kind of superficial shot quality models, I should stop saying superficial because it just, until I see a good shot quality model, they're all superficial. Um, because part of a good shot quality model is a wide open three for Giannis is different than a wide open three for Kevin Durant. That's just always going to be right. That's just the, that is like literally the bottom line of basketball is generating high value, high efficiency propositions. And those are always based on the players who are using up the opportunities. Now in, in the, in a broad sample of like, a, especially of regular season, that sort of doesn't matter because those, those attempts are going to be weighted sort of appropriately. So a guy like Giannis, like Giannis is maybe an exception of a guy who's a really bad shooter who takes a decent chunk of them. But for the most part, again, like, you know, oh, well, you know, so-and-so, like, on, like again, to, not to pick on poor Andre Arverson, but like, oh, they're, well, their shot quality is weighed down. It's like, no, he takes two a game. He's a bad shooter, but he takes two a game. So it doesn't, how much of an effect does that really have on their shot? Not, not very much. And so that sort of self-weighting in a regular season stand, uh, setting kind of comes through. In the playoff setting, kind of less so because there is you can you can I think you can almost I don't want to say pick but you can scheme like Middleton is not going to get as many open shots in a late playoff series as he is in a regular season game just because okay well we know the actions that like they like to use to get Chris Middleton their shots so we're not going to we're not going to help off the wing when they run this set because they're trying to get Middleton a shot and and for Robertson himself the Warriors were just like well, we're not going to we're not going to guard you. <laughs> That's, yeah. So so we are happy to have you funnel the ball to him in the corner 10, 15, 20 times times a game. Like good luck, Bob's your uncle. He's not going to shoot all of them. He's going to he's going to record scratch the possession. Um but the ones he shoots we're very happy as well. So I, I definitely think that's part of it. Let let's So I, I so I but I, I, not I'm going to interrupt. Sorry. Many throat clearing noises there. Um, no, I th so I think that that we've also because of kind of where we are in the progression of shot selection. I think five years ago something like that would work because there still was the difference between the teams that recognized that having guys spot up at twenty four feet was better than having them spot up at nineteen feet. So just looking at oh three pointers and catch and shoot threes that's that's a shot quality that worked better now when teams are have fully internalized not just like where you spot up but the the only sort of open one is is can be a pretty good shot too that now there's the the, the gradations between what shots teams are actually taking are much finer so just like looking you know the Sun shot 20 of 40 from three last night. 40 is a good number of attempts. That number doesn't really tell us if they were just pumping them up there or they were wide open. Now, 18 corner threes probably indicates that they were getting some pretty good looks because those strongly tend to be pretty open. Um, but it, it 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 becomes as the sort of the as three greater than two has sort of permeated thinking everywhere. That thing that used to be a useful heuristic for shot quality is 
sort of less so in a in a in almost a uh, Goodhart's law kind of way. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's a great point because again, going back to that that heuristic, just that short, quick thing that people go to scanning to the bottom of the box score and looking at three point attempts and three point percentage. There are games we've seen in these playoffs where a team has taken 40 something threes and a ton of them have been questionable looks at best, right? Like ISO late clock, um, er- early clock, semi-contested. Yes. Yes. Uh, Chris Middleton is the Connaughton. The Connaughton. Yeah. Um, he, he likes those as well. And so, you know, that's where having, it's almost like there's one conversation about measuring shot quality, which still feels like a thing that's at least in the public sphere, very far away. And then there's another conversation, which is, Hey, three point shooting luck, um, is a thing and it is powerful just like jump shooting luck or even weird you know guys finish at the rim maybe you could say it's a little more stable but even at the rim right you got weird bounces at the rim sometimes you'll have two or three balls that you normally make that pop out and stuff like that so that's all part of shooting luck and it's being reduced to just the number of three pointers and three pointers themselves have now become so variable that you can watch a game with two teams they both take 43s and one team gets like 30 great looks with the guys they want because of stuff that happened upstream in the possession that that number doesn't capture and then the other team is stuck upstream in the possession and 30 of their threes are like ah we're not very happy about any of those yeah and then but then what but and the the, the kind of the shooting luck game is if the second team goes you know and, 14 of 30 yes. and the first team goes six of 30 yes it's, it's like, still a thing it's still a thing. yeah no and you yeah and and so I don't know, like I didn't uh, like, yes, the Suns hit some daggers last night, but they hit some daggers to extend the lead from five to seven or six to nine or something like that. So they'd already kind of uh, earned their way to a big lead that Milwaukee was chipping away at. They only won one quarter last night. That's crazy. Yeah, they won the second quarter. They lost the other two. And I think the fourth was a wash um let's 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 leave on that note people like sort of juicy things at the end Giannis I really like the way Giannis has played um recently sometimes I always wonder like if when I was a player I think I had my best game with the flu stuff kind of slows down sometimes when you're like semi-injured or under the weather he there there's a measuredness right to what I think he's doing out there in these first two games, by that the way, last 10% of stuff you shouldn't do. Yes. Yes. You can't do. Cause you, you're just like, I can't. Yes. <laughs> it's uh, you have to be economical. It's always the Michael Jordan's food poisoning game. Now having had like bad food poisoning, it's still really impressive, but I always, it always amused me as someone who kind of trimmed that fat as an athlete when I was like that. And I was like, it's you, it's easier for him. Like if it were harder for him, he would stink it up. It's easier for him. He's like, he is picking his spots as efficiently as humanly possible. feels like Giannis has a little of that. Um, and speaking of like weird stats about the game last night, Giannis has been positive on the court. The Bucks have outscored Phoenix on the court in both games with him thus far. By the way, as a quick aside, that's not totally abnormal. 
to have your best like each team's best player can have a positive plus minus in the game um, especially when it's relatively close and you're like plus two and plus three like Giannis but it is again an indicator of I think probably more so the depth issues that the Bucks have when he's off the court I just said like a million things do you have any any thoughts on any of them no I mean it's also like again <laughs> no no I, like no the, nothing the, no, the sort of the the best player off the floor is is yeah, that's where kind of the depth comes in. Not just the depth, but sort of the having a plan for that. And it seems like partially, I mean, largely, I think as a result of personnel. Like for example, like I know we're we're trying to wrap up here, but whatever. Um, you know what? What? Okay, Phoenix goes to their their second group, and all of a sudden you've had you know Chris Paul orchestrating blah blah blah, and you're doing one thing, and then they go to their bench, and all of a sudden it's campaign going nine thousand miles an hour in a straight line, and like that's you know that's a sometimes food, but you know going from a knuckleballer to that, it can be it's it's pretty effective, and yeah, so that that that's a way in which they have that that other kind of modality that you know whether by virtue of of per, pers, of uh, of personnel or scheme uh other teams might not have um so yeah and i think that so that's that's the kind of like winning the bench minutes counts you know it's it, it like it, that's it counts a lot yeah, yeah, that, like that's the funny part about that is it's somehow seen as well they actually won the game because they were because they were positively no those, the, the whole thing counts like <laughs> otherwise like you know otherwise it's Philly and I don't know Philly and the Clippers playing now right okay so so hold on when the Bucks when Giannis goes to the bench it's it's uh, you know obviously with Phoenix it's campaign and um, in addition to the campaign campaign it's uh, it's Devin Booker. Um, when Giannis Cam is, Johnson. Yeah. Lots of cams. There's a cam yeah. campaign. Um, when Giannis goes to the bench, in, in theory, this is Middleton time. And I've talked in the past about how successful Middleton has been with Giannis on the bench. But my question here with Middleton is, what is going on with him on the road versus at home? Do you have any insights on these splits i i i don't um it's i don't think i it's just i'm not sure is it random that it's just i mean have we come full circle (laughs) i mean it is a little bit but it's also again random from okay like again if campaign gets going like you're gonna end up with some good shots because he's really fast and breaks a defense chris middleton can beat a defense he can't break a defense and that's that. Like the the Bucks only have one guy who can break who can who can break a defense. When you say break, that, you like, mean you mean break down? Yeah, break down. Like put in rotation. Yeah, like yep, do yep. like like so like Middleton's gonna like Middleton can score and it'll be Middleton scoring. Payne can score, but he can also drive to the basket and defense collapse and he swings that crazy left hand pass out to the opposite corner and it's someone else shoots a three or you know he gets to the basket misses a layup and like eight and dunks. Or something like that. And so it's always going to be like Middleton is a great tough shot maker, but the Middleton offense is a tough shot making offense. And so that that inherently like puts you in a situation where there's not a lot of um, there's there's a low floor on that. Whereas an offense where you're getting you're getting looks for for guys that are open, you're getting to the foul line, you're getting to the basket, you're putting the other team in rotation. There's just more good things that can happen. And. If there's one criticism, even with Giannis on the floor, it's 
they don't get to as many things where just like the good things sort of happen, where the ball bounces and suddenly Brooke Lopez is standing under the basket wide open and lays it in. I, I where mean, well, that seems to have that, that for whatever reason has seemed to happen more for for Phoenix. Well, I don't think it's a for whatever reason, um, and I yeah. don't I don't want to I don't want to completely boil it down to coaching. I don't think that's fair or accurate, but just no. I think it's his personnel as much as anything because the the Bucks don't have like they you know Phoenix has three guys who are better kind of for for lack of a better term agitators than anybody on the Bucks is. Well, yeah, I think it's a combination of the the coaching and the personnel that that give you the scheme in the as an output and in the case of phoenix going back to some things i mentioned earlier they they create advantages by getting into stuff really quickly by moving a lot by moving the ball well and so you're gonna naturally end up with more possessions where what the hell ayton's wide open for a dunk um and it's not to say that milwaukee doesn't run stuff as well um, or I should say in addition, because they do run stuff in addition. I just don't think they run it as well, if that makes sense. And and part of it is, again, like the chicken and egg thing. Like, OK, the difference between running like a, like some sort of multiplayer motion set where it's Mikhail Bridges in the corner and PJ Tucker in the corner. Exactly. Yeah. That, like, they, they ran the different. So they ran like an eight difference. Yeah, go ahead. They ran an ATO. You mentioned Tucker. They ran an ATO in game one. Um, that's an after timeout for, for those wondering. And Tucker is in the in the corner, and it's a classic play that they run around the league. A lot of teams, I, I see it just called motion strong. you got two screeners. Tucker's in the corner. He's coming off two screens. The ball is on the near side of the court, and you have a fifth player usually in the corner. Okay. Now, Chris Paul is guarding Tucker. Here's the problem with this play. No one on Phoenix thinks Milwaukee is running an ATO for P.J. Tucker to curl off the corner and either catch and shoot a three or catch and drive and create action. So it turns out, lo and behold, Tucker was a decoy. He twirled around and ended up becoming a screener. But you know what that did to Phoenix? Nothing. It did absolutely nothing to their defense. When it's Devin Booker in the corner, it scrambles the defense. Yep. And, you know, and... Again, not like I think that's that's sort of an unfair comparison. Like, yes, an all star in the corner. It is, but, yes. No, but no, but just like like the difference between like well Crowder, uh, yeah, or Mikhail Bridges. Like again, he, like he's not a guy who puts the ball on the floor a lot. But if you give him the seam, like he, how many times has he kind of been curling and sort of caught the ball in a weird spot and taken like one hop step, one dribble into a little floater. Like that's a like that's not a that's not the basis of his game, but he can do that, and so by doing that, it means that like he's a he's a threat no matter where he is, and that's that means as a defender guarding him, like your attention is on him, not blowing up the play. This is also why he was a twenty twenty one thinking basketball sub all star. Seth, um, I don't have to think. You, you don't get to claim Mikhail Bridges. <laughs> <laughs> Seth, thanks for coming by. Let's wrap up there. We'll 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 stick around for a great post show um, conversation. But before I I let you go, you were kind enough to send me a little sneak peek of your new book, The Mid Range Theory, which I have read. It's fantastic. When does it come out? When when can people get access to this? Please. Well, it, it, 
It is it is available for pre-order uh, everywhere books are sold, including if you would like to go the independent route. Um, I believe it's bookshop.org uh, if you wanted to buy from an independent or if you wanted to help me in the, the Evil Empire rankings available on Amazon. Uh, it, it is currently scheduled to come out at the beginning of November. Um, there's nothing I know of right now that will move that substantially. So yeah, it's going to coincide with the uh, start of uh, next next basketball season and or the uh, holiday shopping season. And I am very excited for it to come out. I am quite relieved to, to find that someone who is not related to me has read it and uh, <laughs> and enjoyed it. So I, I appreciate that that uh, that um, you know that that cures some of my not cures assuages some of my nerviness about the whole thing. Um, it's it's very mm-hmm. it's very it's very good and so so much so that I wish we could like do an, another entire podcast on the topics of it. But I guess in lieu of that, we'll have to wait for four months. We'll, we'll, we we'll wait for four months. But you're saying people can go pre-order now and yeah. and dive right into it. I I inhaled it um, like a, a delicious. What's the thing you inhale? I don't know. A delicious snack. Um, but you inhale it the way I inhale movie theater popcorn. There you go. I like a good popcorn. Big yeah. popcorn guy. Yeah. I don't I don't do kernels. I do full fistful and mash. <laughs> and and my wife is upset that that's how I've taught my children to eat popcorn as well. And is it butter and salt or do you get crazy flavors? Uh we sometimes go butter. Butter is the compromise. I just I prefer just salted, but you know, as you know, as as we've grown together, I've 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 submitted to the buttered popcorn more and more frequently. This is the best book plug ever. The mid-range theory. <laughs> Uh, it no, will seriously. butter your popcorn. Seriously, uh, <laughs> it's 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 really really good read. Um, Seth Part now. Thanks as always for stopping by. Thanks for having me, Ben. Talk soon. If you want to access that post show, you can get it by supporting this podcast directly at patreon.com slash thinking basketball. We do have extra podcast post shows sometimes, additional content that playoff plus minus series that I'm running that I discussed and mentioned earlier in the show that is available part two just came out yesterday patreon.com slash thinking basketball that is a great way to support this show and all thinking basketball endeavors thanks as always for listening to this one hope you enjoyed it check out that post show if you are a patreon subscriber and wherever you're listening of course i hope that you are having a great day